0: Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything crimey, murdery and weird. Hi Darklings and welcome back to the Darkened Doorway. This
1: week we're going to be talking about historical creepiness. And this week we have our very first guest to the pod.
0: Yes, this week we have the one and only Ms. Willow Charlotte Pippin, resident real life archaeologist. Hi guys, and yes, that's definitely my real name. So, you are a real life
2: archaeologist
0: though, right? I am, I've dug overseas and in Australia. So, tell me the truth, how long do you have to wait to dig up a person, just asking for a friend?
2: Um... If you don't mind how uh, squishy and, you know, uh, and rotting they are, you could probably do it fairly soon. Um, but I would say the uh, highest value, uh, if you dig them up after they've been in the
0: ground for a couple of hundred years, they, uh, they tend to have some really good stuff on them. Yeah. I mean, that I, you know, not that I'm looking for that, but if I was looking to dig someone up for treasure's sake, that would probably be like a good time to wait. <laughs>
2: I mean, as an archaeologist, and of course I'm speaking as a scientist, so I'm not a grave
1: robber, <laughs> no. uh, I'm a
2: scientist, <laughs> we tend to find the cooler shit
1: the older it is. And I think there mm. might be a few, like, legalities associated with digging up freshies, so maybe we don't encourage people to do I that. would say please, especially in Australia, don't dig up fresh bodies, um,
2: <laughs> at least because I know the laws. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not not good. Um, I, less, treasure. less treasure. Less treasure. I do know that uh, I've never dug up a dead body, sadly. Uh, but I feel like all the people I've ever worked around have. Um, so I'm still waiting for that very special dead
0: body to come my way and pop that cherry. So, would you recommend England as a good place <laughs> to um, grave um, archaeologizing things?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's 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 very good at uh, uh, sort of turning a blind eye and also I feel like it's a fairly good revenge because like England stole everything from the rest of the world so I feel like we should go to England and (laughs) dig up some of their grannies. It's a good (laughs) reversal
0: of history. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Disturbing. So you obviously have worked with a lot of museums (laughs) and doing digs and cool stuff. Um, How many aliens have you encountered in that? Oh oh no, um, never any aliens. So yes, I have worked
2: in uh, museums and I have studied archaeology and I've been an archaeologist. And I can tell you now that there are some very strongly worded letters from Hollywood directors telling us to stop talking about how much we hate this whole alien. Like it's very triggering to the point where people have spent their careers as professional archaeologists going, this alien <laughs> thing is bullshit, please stop no
0: aliens no aliens no aliens okay so indiana jones how realistic is that Mm, i mean it's a white man
2: who takes objects from other countries so yes realistic uh the amount of sex he has absolutely not realistic uh archaeologists are the engineers of the art world um and they tend to be drunk
1: 90 percent of the time so there's a name for um, alien uh, and archaeology isn't there isn't it called pseudo-archaeology like that's the you know that's how we we um, I was watching a ted talk about pseudo-archaeology and how damaging it is actually to uh, to archaeology in itself and it's so like racist as well in the sense that only um, only aliens happened in non-European spaces. So, you know, we talk about the Mayans and the Egyptians and that sort of thing, but it never happened in the UK in any of the buildings there. Yes, exactly right. And
2: uh, it's always really interesting when we look at some of those movies produced by some of those directors I mentioned earlier, that the aliens look like a white guy. Uh, Pr- Prometheus. Um. <laughs> You got a bit of a cough
1: there, was was (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I don't know
2: know what came over me. COVID, Um, COVID's
0: going mm -mm. around. Mm -mm.
2: But it is interesting because there is actually the archaeology, and this is a total tangent, of space. So aliens may one day be involved, but currently it's mostly archaeologists waiting for satellites to come, uh, to fall out of the sky so that they can then record them as finds and uh, take them back to their museums and
0: steal them, which is what they're (laughs) very good at. So essentially what you're saying is most archaeologists are serial kleptomaniacs.
2: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's what we really like. We like to take things home uh, and put them in really big warehouses um, and keep them there for hundreds and hundreds of years and occasionally let people look at them. In that way, Indiana Jones is 100% correct. Lovely, lovely, (laughs) good to know. You know, that final scene of the Ark of the Covenant where he's just putting something in a warehouse and it zooms out and there's literally thousands of boxes. That is what it is like being in the back of a house of a museum. That is amazing. I just want to explain one thing, which is, archaeologists do not do survival well (laughs) so your career is cut off after your 30s your knees and your back's gone after like years of digging (laughs) in a trench we're not built for survival we're built for the highs of youth Um, especially (laughs) in how we work so archaeologists get encouraged to lick things I'm not saying that these archaeologists lick things and that's why they died but it could have happened Uh, because there is uh, a very well-known fact about archaeology is uh, certain things stick to your tongue.
0: Follow me through this. I swear it makes sense. I'm making a face on this right now. This upsets me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So imagine you're in a trench. Everything is dirt brown. What you have to do is you have to work out the dirt brown things, which are actual objects and which are just random pieces of soil and stone um and so what you do is you press it to your tongue or lick it to see the textures i know yes <laughs> and i hate to say this but i've actually been one of those people to do this um so it's cl- pottery sticks to your tongue bone sticks to your tongue stone does not stick to your tongue that's the entire theory behind it it's all about uh aeration
0: and minerals yeah ms willow really? i have some advice for you as an rn stop <laughs> licking stuff mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. brown substances that you do not know what they are because there is like a 50 percent chance it's going to be poop isn't this uh, how uh, covid, COVID started
1: don't lick uh, things yeah
0: don't lick things Possibly.
2: Um you say that it is a fifty percent chance of poop that did actually happen on one of the digs that I was on. Someone was looking something and they went, Oh, it doesn't really feel like stone, but it doesn't really feel like pottery. And they turned around to the to the leader of the dig and went, What is this? And they looked at her for one second and went, Oh, it's it's coprolite. And you could see the wheels turning in her head going, What the fuck is coprolite? I'm not a fucking geologist, I'm an archaeologist. Oh shit, it's fossilized poo. And you know, then running to the bathroom to spit yeah. out everything. 100. Um, percent um, I believe that is case in point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my learning curve was one year I was at a dig and I was digging up this very beautiful pottery, and occasionally I was licking things. And then the next year I'm working in the museum with the collection of objects that come from that era and and uh, that and that area of the world and they've all got bright fluorohazard tags on them. And I turn around to my coworker because I'm new and I go, why are these objects hazardous? And they're like, oh, they're full of lead. And I'm like, great <laughs> fun fact. I was licking them
0: like 12 months ago. <laughs> um, I think I need to go to the doctor now and just. <laughs> so, okay. So when we were children and we were going through that phase <laughs> where you, you put stuff in your mouth and your parents go, no, don't put that snail in your mouth or don't put that mysterious object in your mouth. Do archaeologists just go, uh, no, no, I'm going to put everything in my mouth and get paid to do it?
2: I mean, you don't get paid to do it. Again, I work in the arts. I don't get paid. Oh,
0: you're just doing it for funsies. You do it for yeah. funsies.
2: <laughs> um, occasionally you write a paper and you might get paid if you're lucky. Um, but It is actually like, it's almost like hazing, like the lead archaeologist who is the big boss of the site and actually doesn't do anything more than draw and occasionally point at things, um, commanding us to do his work or their work and going, lick the thing, lick the thing. It's the only way you're going (laughs) to learn.
0: Um, So, yeah, yeah, we we actually got encouraged to lick things. Uh, Wow. He has a lot to answer (laughs) for that one. Yeah, it was a terrible mistake. (laughs) Um, Now, you were also going to tell us a little bit about some haunted places tonight. Yes. So,
2: the world is full of really, really creepy things and sometimes they are via archaeological means. So, like King Casimir and uh, Tutankhamun are really deeply associated with uh, the deaths of an individual at a site and that can lead to these stories of hauntings and curses. Um, and sometimes they can be associated with objects. So I've got a couple of stories from either perspective. So we are Sydney locals, um, and one of the more famous sites in Sydney that people might not know about is uh Burren Street in McDonaldtown. Um so McDonaldtown station is this really abandoned looking station in the inner west, and it kind of looks like a warehouse. And it turns out there's probably a reason for that. And the reason is in the 1890s in Sydney, there was a massive discovery of a family of serial killers who were murdering babies for profit. Nice. Um, So, this is the family, uh, the Macon family of McDonaldtown. And they, in the 1890s, were answering ads from very desperate women asking, for someone to look after their baby who perhaps, you know, their baby was born out of wedlock um, or the mother or father couldn't afford to keep them. And for a small fee, they would say they would look after the baby. Um, And then they would, after a couple of months of having the baby, they would say, oh, actually we're moving to a bigger piece of land or a bigger house. Um, We'll send you the address once we get there. And this kept happening and this kept happening and this kept happening. And, you know, 1890s, no one really knows how to find someone once they disappear
1: no facebook can't google search that shit
2: no you can't google no facebook um and it all sort of came to a head and i like i found this really interesting which is uh it was archaeology almost in a way that led to the discovery of these serial killers because it was um some people digging up the yard of the house to build the sewers oh okay and they found the remains of a baby and that grew some attention and there was a coroner's court and they kept finding more. Mm. And in the end, they found the remains of 15
0: babies in the area. So that would lead some mm-hmm. some healthy haunting, huh? It would. Um,
2: so it did eventually lead to the conviction um, and execution of one of these family members. So there was, it was a husband and wife team. Um, their children were possibly involved to an extent. Um, They were definitely aware of it. And that house is still there in Sydney today. You can still walk past that house. It's still in existence and you can see where this happened. And of course it led to almost the wiping out of a suburb. So the suburb became associated with murders and death (laughs) and it sort of got buried. As time passed, people wanted to forget about it. So it is potentially our most haunted suburb in Sydney as a whole.
1: What sort of hauntings are happening there? What what has happened? What sort of, is there noises, people being possessed? Like what sort of stuff's happening there?
2: So there isn't any sort of accurate stories. It's more sort of people saying that there's a vibe. Um, it's feels uncomfortable. You don't really hear the sounds of babies or crying or things like that. It's more the sensation of, you know, darkness and sadness,
0: which is deeply unpleasant. I just think it would be creepy too. I think children ghosts would be way creepier than adult ghosts. Don't know why. Well, yeah, so
2: there is meant to be a ghost at my work site, which is a ghost of a mm-hmm. boy. It's been described as a ghost of the boy.
0: And that is definitely the creepiest thing. And just to be clear, you actually work in a museum?
2: Yes. Okay. So I work in a museum and uh, where we, uh, where I work is very closely with the collection. And um, I had a co-worker who tends to work very late at night. I tend to work very early in the morning. And I came up to him one day and I, I was really cruel and I tapped him on the shoulder and I jumped behind him. So he like freaked out. and. I just meant it as a joke, but he was really freaked out, and I'm, I'm really sorry, what, what? I didn't mean to scare you, what's going on, he said, I keep hearing noises of people coming and going at night, oh. when I'm the only one left in the building. And the other night, I turned around, and I could see on the shelving units, which surrounded him, which are full of objects, um, something perched on the top, from the corner of my eye, I could see it, and as I turned around, it disappeared. Ooh, I'm getting the chills! <laughs> Uh, And I was like, oh, I'm I'm really sorry. Um, You know, it's probably just our neighbours. It's probably people just packing up for the end of the day. Uh, It's going to be okay. And me very, very carefully backing away. So I no longer have to be in that space. Um, The next day we then get some visitors who, um, uh, they're they're from the same culture as the objects that are kept in that room. Uh, And they're, they're from... Uh, so they were able to like come in, and one of the aunties who came in, she immediately started to back away from the room and getting really flustered. And we we're like, "What's wrong? Are you okay?" And she's like, "There is a ghost of a small boy in this room. I can't be in here. He isn't angry, but he's he's very intense." And she was like, "I can't stay in there," and she left. Uh, and after she left, we ran around and we we explained that one of our coworkers had seen a ghost and uh she was like yeah that's him he's not angry he's just like really confused about what you're doing and it kind of made sense because my coworker, his job is to sit at a desk with a very bright screen and just stare at a box for hours um and you know as as a spirit from um a, a country where you know 200 300 years ago you're gonna be like What is going on with this weird man who's just sitting at a desk in front of a box (laughs) that's brightly coloured? I I think it's it is that sort of weird thing of like we get taught to go in every morning and say hello. And we get taught at the end of every day to say goodbye to the objects, Um, because there is the belief that like a lot of these objects were handmade, so every time they an object was made made a piece of the soul of the maker went into them and that's the echo that we see so it's it's actually something that's really really core belief weirdly enough like talk to museum people they are the most superstitious people of the bunch and they have very good reasons Mm. they see things um and it does help like so if we start hearing weird noises and things like that like my coworkers will often like stop what they're doing because they're often picking up an object or moving an object and they'll go I just want to explain to you, whoever you are in this space, what I'm doing with this object, and that I'm not harming it. I'm not doing anything bad. And that sort of calms it down. And it's really interesting because these stories tend to get repeated throughout the museum world. So like a really famous story of it is at the British Museum, there was two statues from ancient Egypt, and one got taken off display for the first time in decades to be put in another exhibition. And suddenly, you know, there was problems with electricity, there was problems um, with with the doors opening and closing at the middle of the night, and no one could work out what was happening. It's real. It's
0: real. (laughs) I love this shit. (laughs) I just love it. I'm like, I want to go there now. Can I sleep there, please? Thank you.
2: Uh, weirdly enough a lot of museums do sleepovers now but it's only for kids which I feel like is like very unfair <sighs> because
0: yeah because they they don't know enough to be af- afraid yet yeah. they should be forced to watch some horror movies before they go
2: I do also feel like if you were to do a sleepover at the museum you wouldn't want kids to be there because kids are very creepy when mm. they want to be Agreed, and like that would be my oh. nightmare <laughs> but it, it is really interesting that that objects retain power and that seems to be something that's um kept across multiple belief systems so the belief systems that I've been talking about a lot today are sort of ancient egypt and um the uh, oceanic region um so like the pacific and australian beliefs but for example in japan there's a belief that an object if it's older than 100 years time it can come alive at night and you know It's not a haunting but it will it has life so
0: what you're saying is that night in the museum is actually a historical document and i can go there yes and i can go there at night and play with all of the big animals and it's going to be amazing that's what you're saying right
2: a hundred percent yes um and i can tell you this uh (laughs) this is probably something that's happening because Again, one of the previous roles I worked at was at a museum um, that did contain mummies and human remains. And um, we were told that often the alarms were being set off for doors opening and closing in the space. And when, you know, um, we would go and visit the space the morning of or a couple of hours later, nothing had changed, nothing had been opened, nothing had been closed. So. There's definitely movement
0: happening there. So creepy. Uh, Yeah. Again,
2: another famous story in the British Museum is um, the cleaners actually went on strike cleaning the mummy room because they kept saying that the bandages were moving at night. Um, And the official line from the British Museum was, no, it's caused by the static um, of you wiping a cloth over the perspex cases. And that's what's causing it. Um, no one bought it.
0: Question: Hmm. Um, my counterpart has got quite a big scientific brain, and she does lots of science things. Do you think that that's a possible explanation, static, to make random bandages on mummies move?
1: Well, I guess it depends how close the perspex is to the bandages, but and like, are they using wool cloths? Like, you know. Think so.
2: It would be microfiber, <laughs> and there would be a good five to ten inches between the object and the perspex. I can promise you that because you've got to have like an area mm, mm. for for an error almost around an object. So yeah, it's it's a hundred percent not believable. Um, talking about no, talking about mummies. Um, I had a friend who was really closely involved with the mummy project a few years back, uh, and she had her own instance of haunting um with a mummy um so interesting uh this mummy had sat in the corner of our education room for decades and i um, worked in that room really regularly i was an education officer at that museum and we were told that that uh, sarcophagus was empty and that um any human remains had been destroyed in antiquity during looting uh
1: and then someone had the bright idea of actually opening it up and double checking (laughs) Haven't they seen Indiana Jones? You don't open. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. All I know that. it's a trigger. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry.
0: Or that, or that one with the mummy. That mm. one with the yeah, mummy. Don't the movie, open the mummy. It. Yes,
2: don't open mm. it. I mean, so long as you're talking about the mummy with Brendan Fraser, who is amazing, and not with the Scientologist guy.
0: <laughs> He's a national treasure. He is a national treasure. <laughs>
2: He is yes best movie. Brendan Fraser sponsor us. Yes. <laughs> the only archaeologist <laughs> I like is Evelyn. I think Evelyn, yeah, in The Mummy. The,
0: yeah. My hero. Is it because she's adorable? Yes. Yes, it is. And I,
2: yeah. I strongly believe archaeologists can be adorable and also grave
0: robbers. Um <laughs> I'm sorry, did I just make the weirdest <laughs> laughing noise just then? <laughs> I feel like it was a strangled turkey. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree, though.
2: <laughs> so, they, they opened this mummy and they found that there was human remains. They were not in great condition. Um, there had been looting in antiquity, so that was super common with the um, ancient Egyptians. They did loot from the dead. I mean, if you're really poor and someone is very rich and is being buried with stuff, you're going to go and break into their tomb. So yeah, it was was opened up and they discovered that there were human remains inside it. They weren't in great condition, but they were still there. Um, And that they uh, would have to investigate what was left of the human remains. And that could no longer just sit in a corner of the museum forever it had to be you know properly recorded um so it was my friend's job to after the human remains were removed to sift through the dust and count the beads beads that were left behind from this really yeah so like egyptians were buried not just wrapped up but they would have these bead coverings And they were incredibly detailed and there was literally thousands of them and it became almost like a jelly bean um, competition (laughs) where we were trying to guess how many beads. And that was her job for months was just counting beads. Uh, We have a glamorous life as
0: archaeologists and museum professionals. So just a quick question. Did anyone walk past your friend and like shout out random numbers when she was
1: counting? I would have done that.
0: Yeah.
2: I didn't. Uh, my friend is the sweetest person in the world, so if someone had done that… No one's immune to that. No one's no, immune. No, yeah. but
0: I think I would have definitely we done that. We would have
2: lynched them, because like, it's like, protect this person <laughs> at all
0: costs um, sort of love. <laughs> uh, even with the deepest love, I feel like I still would have walked past her going 359, 323,
2: 15, 12. <laughs> Uh, luckily, we have moved past the point of manual counting and there's there's other ways to record things than just in your head, thank goodness. So She
1: never had that problem. Disappointing. I have an image now of like a coin counter where you just tip all the beads into and it goes, ta-da, 1,559. <laughs> no? You don't have that? Mm.
2: I, I will also remind you that these beads were covered in literal human
0: dust. Mm. Uh, so you wouldn't want to be creating more dust. I feel like if you go to any Commonwealth Bank and you put coins through that machine, there is going to be human bits all over that too. Oh, 100%. Mostly fecal matter. But that's true of most coins, isn't it? That they're mostly covered in fecal matter. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, Miss Willow, if you could just make sure you don't lick any currency.
1: Yeah. Not advised. Not advised. Mm. Or the back of other people's phones. Don't do that either. Oh, yeah. Don't do that.
2: I was going to say that the most likely place you ever find treasure as an archaeologist probably actually isn't in a grave, but it's, it's in, you know, toilets um, and sewers. I'm, I'm sorry. So, say mm-hmm. again? please elaborate Uh, so you tend to find the best things in literal piles of shit (laughs) because
1: no one else was ever looking through the piles of shit do you mean like sewers like ancient sewers and stuff yeah
2: so people you know we drop things all the time and they disappear and It's a really well-known fact that uh, people would drop things and they wouldn't bother to try and fish out.
1: Those long drop toilets, you know, on the highway. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There'd be so much treasure in there. I did drop a pair of my scissors in the hospital toilet the other night and it got flushed because I was not fishing that out. So yeah, definitely still happens today. It does. It does. It's not pleasant, but it's true, and, and archaeologists can find
2: some real good shit in the, in in that. <laughs> oh, I
1: see what you did there. Can I take you back? Can I take you back to the mummies? Yeah. So I have read that in the I don't know was it the 40s or the 60s or something they made there was mummy brown paint did you hear it might have been it even was. before that yeah yes. tell me about so, that um
2: mummies were used for a lot of different purposes so um to go right back uh mummy fever began in the early victorian era yes so, uh, yeah, like so the not the 60s <laughs> the near, um, <laughs> no so like eighteen yeah, yeah, sixties, 18- okay, not yep. 1960s same, um, same. so hmm. you know beginning of the Victorian era, end of um, the Napoleonic era um, and the Regency era of, of Europe and uh, Egyptology is becoming incredibly popular and it's literally sle- sweeping uh, Europe. Um, and the Victorians and people of that age were pretty obsessed with death. It happened a lot and they were at the time um, really interested in how death happened. They're beginning to do autopsies publicly. Um, in this this century, they're beginning to discuss science. And so finding these human bodies that are in amazingly good condition, um, just sort of creates this really weird moment in history where we started to use human remains in every possible function. So you talked about paint, mm-hmm. and it is a real thing. It's called mummy brown. Um, you can see it in some of the really famous landscape paintings of the 19th century. Um, you can no longer, of course, get that color, but you can get a shade wow. of it still, and it's still called mummy brown. Um, <laughs> but that's that's like that's like the lowest oh level of weird. And I want to yes, take please. you a couple of more levels up um, for weird shit that we did with mummies. Um, so we also started creating something called mummy unwrapping parties so you'd come back from europe and you would bring back a little bit of a mummy or a whole mummy depending on how rich you were um because you know luggage fees are (laughs) a thing um and you would hold a party and that party would be for your friends and family to unwrap the mummy so remember mummies um when they're first wrapped they're
0: often wrapped with amulets so was this like the origins of pass the parcel (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's a particular theory
2: uh that i really love and i would encourage and perhaps even and I say this for all people out there who are into weird Ooh. history. Maybe it's a PhD mm-hmm. topic. I'll add that to my to-dos. Yeah, yeah. Just write a quick PhD and become a doctor of weird history. Um, but yeah. it was it was finding the the amulets that were hidden, the gold, the the jewelry of the mummy, and it was a public se- spectacle. So you could go to private mummy unwrapping parties, and you could go to public mummy unwrapping parties.
0: Wow absolutely insane that is crazy
1: that is still only (laughs) mid-level there is a third level take us there baby
2: (laughs) everyone breathe third level third level of weird is that we would crush (laughs) mummies up and use them as medicine
0: i do not condone this
2: yes human beings started to practice cannibalism it was very
0: very old cannibalism but still cannibalism Fun medical fact. The human body is not really able to digest other human bodies. We're not made for cannibalism. And you will actually just end up with severe constipation. So maybe don't try it, Catherine. (laughs) What? It's a weird echo. Weird
1: echo.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I i really support that idea um however i think the ship has sailed for a lot of these victorians i do hope that their lives were made a little bit harder by the stools that they then had to push out um but (laughs) they definitely would but they they thought it was um these bodies were so well preserved that it was a sign for them that if they consumed part of it it would make them healthier um
1: Oh, fountain of Youth sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah,
2: and it's it's really fucked up and weird
0: um, that anyone thought that this was okay. That would not taste good. No, it would be a bit gritty. Mm. Zero out of ten would not right Well, weirdly enough, Mm-mm. what we do know as the materials used
2: for mummification, it is a lot of um, natron, natron, which is salt and honey, um, and so. Th- so, it tasty. I've and I've, I've been in a room with mummies, and they are meant to smell quite sweet. I did not.
1: Did lick you them. lick them?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> the takeaway of this episode is going to be. Did you lick it? Maybe that's <laughs> our title.
0: <laughs> that
1: is fantastic, did you and lick I it? <laughs> can
0: see why they now want to lick everything because it's honey and delicious. Yes. Yeah, salty
2: honey. When you think about it. <laughs> Salty honey ends and
1: dinosaur poop is not di- is not honey though. No, <laughs> that's just poop. A rock. It's a rock poop. Well, the the biggest Viking poop is a Viking poop that
2: was found in I think it was the UK and it was like a Viking poop. Yeah, and it was um it was really a solid sausage. I think is is the best way
1: to describe it. Okay, a sausage you say a Viking poo. You need to tell me more. Like, how did it get there? Why? How do we even know it's Viking poo? Just more, please. Uh, so, it, it was found in York, and I feel like this is very appropriate, but it
2: was found where a bank is. Um, so, you know, the most, the biggest claim to fame for that bank is that they found Viking poop underneath its floors. Um, they know it's Vikings Just because it's a Viking. Just, well... T-
0: it was eight inches long. <laughs> I feel like one is enough to clean him out. Wow.
2: Wow. Exactly. Maybe he ate mummies. Exactly. Imagine how many days I, it would take. Eight inches.
0: That is a humongous poop. That's all poop. I can say. That is a humongous maybe, poop. But... Maybe he ate a lot of fibre. We can't judge. Mm. I think it's the opposite problem
1: if you've got an eight-inch poop. Um, well, they say fibre bulks things up, so you know. I'm thinking bulky. <laughs> anyway, sorry. How do we know it's? Um, how do we know it's Vikings? So it,
2: uh, the site is a known Viking settlement. Um, York was invaded by the Vikings uh, uh, Do they age the, poop? Uh, you can you can you can date poop you can also see what was in the poop by what's left over in the uh fibers uh through microscopic sampling things like that you can tell what year sometimes even the poop (laughs) is (laughs) we do not lick the poop in this case (laughs) if we were not sure if it was poop we would have licked it
1: Mm. afterwards we wouldn't have licked it so it couldn't have even be like fossilized though. So it would have been was it soft in the middle?
2: I'm gonna say it probably was fossilized. So to fossilise people doesn't take as long as like bone. Um it sort of starts hardening after a couple of hundred years.
0: It's just <laughs> fossilization isn't time, it's pressure. So mm-hmm. yes. There's a lot of pressure pushing that thing out. <laughs> So just out of interest, if someone out there is dating an archaeologist, if they wanted to call in to us or, like, you know, send us an email um, and just tell us, do you kiss your archaeologist partner after hearing this podcast? (laughs) Because I'd be
1: having some serious questions. Listerine is marvellous stuff. But can it do fungi? (laughs) That's the question. Oh, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. might just preserve it because it's, like, alcohol-based or something. And it won't get rid of lead either. Mm -mm, It will not get rid.
2: Weirdly enough, I think you can get rid of lead if you're a woman and you have a baby. The baby gets the lead.
0: Mm. Oh, so you just take out the kids. Very generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very generous. Transfers across, you'll be fine. (laughs) Toxic motherhood.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Toxic motherhood. New meaning. Um, But yeah, Viking poop. It was eight inches long and they could tell what he was... uh, or they I don't think it's unfair to presume it was a man um but
1: they, you could they DNA cre- that shit though <laughs> <laughs> there'd be cells <laughs> um but my favorite thing is is that
2: they uh they valued it because of course it's found by a bank um and they found that it was the most exciting piece of excrement that had ever been seen and in some ways it was um as irreplaceable as the crown jewels of England. Oh, wow. That
1: comparison's incredible.
0: (laughs) I feel like Queen Elizabeth, the late, lovely Queen Elizabeth, though, would have been less excited to put that on her head. (laughs) I know I'd rather have the crown jewels myself. So maybe it's more about the sparkle Mm. than the value. You could polish a turd,
1: though. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) It's still a turd. Moving on, guys, moving on.
1: (laughs) Speaking of eight inches, you had another story. Yes. So uh, this time we relocate from
2: York to Italy. Of course. And uh, we're going to talk about a different type of member. Um, Sadly, not eight inches.
0: Hey, you don't Uh, know what it was like when he was happy. So we are talking. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. i think I've I think I've broken my partner. I think she's broken. We'll give she's her, wetting herself. We'll give her a moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for our listeners, she is currently crying. She's laughing so hard, but she has us on mute. <laughs> so uh, you can't hear that. <laughs> a true professional. You okay there? You good? <laughs> Big breaths. You can unmute yourself. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And I'm. <laughs>
1: Back. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was eight inches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. We're <Wait, laughs> mature. Anywho. Mm-hmm. This is penises, you say.
2: Peni if you want to be truly uh, professional with your description of them. Mm. Um Right. So if you've ever seen a Greek or Roman statue, and I'm I'm talking about, you know, statues that were made by the Greek and Romans, not Michelangelo, uh, you might have noticed that they are um
0: less than well-endowed
2: yeah uh they, they hopefully were growers not showers as you were saying um and that was for a particular reason um it was seen as uh funny in the uh, ancient greek world to have a large penis and you were comical because you know when you'd run around doing the sports you'd be running around naked and everything would be flapping about flapping about so <laughs> It's magnificent. <laughs> when they made these statues of the Greek gods, which were meant to be um, the most perfect human, they would make them with very small members. Um, eventually, the Greek gods go out of fashion and um, monotheistic gods become in, and Christianity and all that stuff. And at some point, the Vatican starts collecting these statues. It's a little bit about power and having cultural influence. It's a little bit about like the sexiness of some of these statues and like I'm not just talking about the male statues I'm also talking about the female statues there is a statue in the Vatican which you can see today which is of a god S with multiple boobs all over her chest like I'm talking about layers of boobs like so the Vatican um would collect these statues and perhaps they were for like sexual titillation we don't know um but we do know (laughs)
0: titillation (laughs)
2: Um, I'm sorry titillation and but however this titillation was only for the women uh, the female figures so the female figures wouldn't be covered up the male figures though would be covered up I have no idea why Um, and to cover them up they would have to remove the penises and cover them with the fig leaves that we know today however the Vatican doesn't throw anything away, and so there is a rumor in the academic world that somewhere in the bowels of the Vatican are all the missing penises from the statues and it will take a very good academic mm. mm-hmm. a lot of time to pin the penises back to the statues.
0: It's like a really messed up pin the tail on the donkey.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You've got to you've got to assign it to the right the right man and um you don't you don't want to be unfair and, and give him a, a smaller member than he's already small member mm. yeah <laughs>
0: mm. mm-hmm. um and and that's very important to the scientific community that they <laughs> yes. have the right size member yes yes
2: yes we we really need to um do an audit of the size of penises and work to out what the, the flapping uh, around perfect yeah. penis mm-hmm. size was for the ancient greek uh
0: men mm. of the world um mm-hmm. It's for science. So, okay, so you've got all these people who are professional uh, professional grave robbers. What happened to actual grave robbers if they ever got caught? So
2: if they were unlucky enough to get caught in ancient Egypt, um, they had a fairly horrific time of it. So it was um, a big deal to desecrate a tomb. Um, it was seen as destroying someone's chances of a good laugh afterlife. Uh, And so if you were caught, um, they would bring out a very long pole and they would very carefully insert that pole into your anus and then slowly shove it up Oh, uh, with the aim of not actually killing you. Um, So they would try and avoid all your um, major (sighs) organs. Um, So, for example, like your heart and your lungs. And uh, the goal was to get it out through your mouth, and then you would be suspended on that pole until you died. It makes crucifixion sound so much nicer than that. Mm. Yeah. That is truly is truly horrendous. So, grave robbing was like a really high risk situation. Um, You were also opening yourself up to curses, Um, there were curses to do with graves, however I think I would rather be cursed because there is ways to remove curses in ancient Egypt, Um, you just needed a bull uh, and you would get a bull from the priest and you would just behead it and then like Move the curses over to the bull's head, and then throw the bull's head into the Nile, and then you would go back and you would roast the bull and have a nice meal. So, and
1: did the priest have like a whole bunch of sparesies out the back? Like, that's a a little cottage industry right there.
2: Well, yes, they did have like a little bit of a cottage industry when it came to like sacrificial animals. So, um. A lot of uh, animals were deified because of their association with the gods. So you can think of ibises and alligators um, and cows. bin chickens.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because it's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, ah, you mean the Australian bin chicken. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Cats as well. So, you know, if your cat died, you would shave off your eyebrows in mourning. And what the priests would do is that they would keep some of these animals and they would actually mummify
0: them so that they could be presented. In fairness though, cats actually haven't forgotten that they were revered. Um, And I think that can be seen in everyday cats, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. now.
1: Yeah, We are their slaves. Yes. Yeah. We
0: are.
1: Yeah. Anyway, do go on. The one
2: downside to this whole cottage industry was um, you really had to trust the people involved because we have many historical cases where we have in our collection what we have called a mummified cat or a mummified ibis. And then when we have put it through a CT scanner or an x-ray, we found out that it's like half of the chicken lunch that just
1: got wrapped up <laughs> and sold as a cat.
2: Or wow. An ibis. So... Uh-huh.
1: So like a Coles barbecue chicken just got wrapped up in bandages.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Nice. Like a dodgy car salesman, isn't it?
1: It, Exactly. So there was like the dodgy um, car
2: salesman of of ancient Egypt and they specialised in mummifying animals uh, on the cheap. Mm. So, yeah. Nice.
0: Mm. That's all been incredibly interesting. Um, But horrible news, we are out of time. Oh, no. So thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Willow. All
2: good. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect timing. I've got to go and uh, do
0: something about a body. So, yeah. (laughs) For science. For science. 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 Yes, science is always the best excuse. But thank you so much, Darklings, for listening to this episode. If you'd like to hear more about this kind of stuff, please send us an email on darkeneddoorwaypodcast at gmail.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram. Until next time, Darklings.
1: Bye, bye, bye.